5, 1 through 15. <laughs> There's some things in this passage that make me happy. <laughs> Here we go. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Oh my goodness, the only thing that counts is faith, <laughs> expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Whoa, back up a little bit, pal. You're getting a little... That's strange. You, my brothers and sisters, were called. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Whoa. So many things in there that are so, so good, right? And we see that last line playing itself out all, all the time, don't we? If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So, this Wednesday, we are celebrating the 4th of July. How many of y'all are excited? You got big plans? Woo! Yeah, anybody going to have a cookout? Yeah. Anybody going to go swimming, playing in water? Anybody going to watch fireworks? Anybody going to launch fireworks? It's <laughs> so good. So exciting. So, we, we celebrate Independence Day of the nation that we call home, the United States of America. We are united by land, united by law, united by constitution, united by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, even though we don't seem very united right now, <laughs> do we? Okay, but that's why this is one of the greatest experiments ever in the history of the world. 
that even in our diversity, from Alaska uh, down to Hawaii, from California to New York, from Minnesota down to Texas, even in our diversity, we are united by and in our freedom. We are the United States of America. Yes. Is your patriotism going, mmm, feel good? Maybe I should run for office? I could do that. Yeah. Now, lots of things have been said and written about freedom uh, over the history of uh, all of it. <laughs> lots of things. Uh, so this morning, uh, what I want us to do is listen to some voices that we might not uh, necessarily listen to uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. These are, these are voices that are from the margins. And it's important for us to listen to voices that are from the margins because when Jesus came out of heaven and became one of us, he didn't align himself with the powerful religious elite. He didn't align himself with empire, with the Roman empire. No, who did he align himself with? He went straight to the margins. He spoke to them. He spoke for them. He spoke to the world on their behalf. And so we now go to the margins to listen to some of those voices. And these are people who probably know more about freedom than any of us will ever know, right? So here we go. The first voice is from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was captured by the Nazis during World War II for being part of the, the German resistance movement. Think rebels against the evil galactic empire. He was a rebel. He was captured. This is what he wrote shortly before he was hanged. Listen to these words. If you set out to seek freedom, then learn above all things to govern your soul and your senses. For fear that your passions and longings may lead you away from the path you should follow, chaste be your mind and your body, and both in subjection, obediently, steadfastly, seeking the aim set before them. Only through discipline may a man learn to be free. Only. Only through discipline may a person learn to be free. Ooh, isn't that interesting? D.H. Lawrence wrote this. Men, and by men, he means people. Men are free. Listen to this. Men are free, people are free, when they belong to a living, organic, believing community, active in fulfilling some unfulfilled, perhaps some unrealized purpose. Really? That's freedom? People are free when they belong to a living, organic, believing community, active in fulfilling some unfulfilled, perhaps some unrealized purpose. Mm. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Oh. Think about that. And he said this, the Negro needs the white man to free him from his fears. The white man needs the Negro to free him from his guilt. So good. Finally, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years behind bars fighting for the freedom of his people against the apartheid policies and programs of the South, South African government. Here's what he said about freedom. It was during those long and lonely years 
in prison, that my hunger for the freedom of my own people became a hunger for the freedom of all people. White and black. I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. He is locked behind the bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I am not truly free if I am taking away someone else's freedom, just as surely as I am not free when my freedom is taken away from me. The oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity. The oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity. He's saying something significant there. The oppressed and the oppressor are both robbed of their humanity, robbed of what it truly means to be a human being, robbed of what God really wants us human beings to be. We'll come back to that idea in a little bit. I won't tell you when, it'll just happen. So, freedom. We hear a lot about that word in, in the United States of America, the land of the free, don't we? We hear it a lot. It just so happens to be one of the major, basic, biggest, grandest themes that we find on the pages of the Bible. We learn about it almost immediately. Here we have the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, man and woman, side by side, arms linked together. They are free. In fact, they're, they're freer than all the other animals. In fact, they're so free that they get to name all the other animals. In fact, they are given responsibility to have dominion over all of creation, to make sure that all of creation flourishes and becomes what God has intended it to be. But their freedom was also more than that. They were also free to make decisions. They were free to make moral choices. They were free to be responsible. They were free to be irresponsible. They were free to listen to and obey the voice of God. They were free to ignore and disobey the voice of God. Human beings ought to be free. It's where the Bible starts. It's one of the basic themes we find in the Bible. In fact, when the Israelites find themselves enslaved in the land of Egypt, the Bible tells us that God hears the cries of the people. And what does he do? He sends the great liberator known as Moses. And he leads the people out of slavery, out of captivity, and into freedom, the way human beings ought to be, right? Throughout the Bible, God is continuously stirring up the lives of people in order to set them free from all that, all that keeps them captive, all that enslaves them, all that, that continues to keep them from becoming exactly what God intended them to be. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now we've got Paul using that word, this idea, this theme that runs throughout the pages of the Bible. And we've got Paul grabbing onto it and running with it, right? So it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Paul says. Now, this statement comes in the middle of a, a long, drawn-out argument in a letter to the church in Galatia about the relationship between Christian freedom and Jewish law. Now, Paul was a Jew. He was Jewish. Jesus, Jewish. The first followers of Jesus, almost all of them, Jewish. 
and Jewish people had the law, 613 of them to be exact. Now, the ancient rabbis taught that Torah, the law, was the pathway to freedom, to becoming exactly who God wanted you to be. Now, these laws regulated every little bit of life, home life, religious life, work life. If it had anything to do with life, there was a law about it telling you exactly how you ought to act. It regulated it. The law, Torah, it was the glue that held the Jewish people together through 2,000 years of exile, discrimination, persecution, genocide. It was their life. It was the thing that distinguished them as the people of God from the rest of the world, right? It's like their identity. Now, problem was, all of a sudden after Jesus came, and you've got these Jewish followers of Jesus, all of a sudden there were a bunch of outsiders, people that we read in the Bible called Gentiles, which just made, basically means they're not Jewish people. They now start following Jesus. They become Christians. And to the Jewish followers of Jesus, these people were weird. These people were crazy. These people didn't follow any of the dietary restrictions, which was contained in the law. Right? They ate whatever they wanted. They didn't keep kosher. They didn't observe Sabbath the way you were supposed to observe Sabbath. And they weren't, under any circumstances, interested in any way whatsoever in this thing called circumcision. For obvious reasons. You can explain that to the kids on the way home make for an interesting conversation. So a delegation of Jewish followers of Jesus was sent to this church in Galatia to tell these outsiders that in order for them to follow Jesus in the right way, they had to first become Jews. They had to obey the law, even to the point of circumcision. Now, turned out to be this big argument that forced Paul to think through one of the basic, most revolutionary ideas of our faith. That is this. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. This idea that God in Jesus loves us, and there's nothing we can do whatsoever to earn or merit that love. It is grace that saves us and sets us free from all of the ways that we try to make God love us, to make God be good to us, to please God so that we can draw God's favor on us. God has already given us his love. So why would we go about trying to earn it, trying to manipulate God into loving us more when it's already ours? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we're free from that. We're free from trying to, trying to make God love us. It's ours. But here's the deal. What do we use our freedom for? What's it for? What do we use it for? It says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in this sinful nature. In other words, don't use your freedom for yourself. Don't be self-indulgent. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't be self-defined. Don't be self-consumed. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, just because you can, as if nobody else on the planet exists. 
And then he goes on to say, okay, don't use your freedom for that. Then he goes on to say, here's what you use your freedom for. He says, rather, so good, serve one another in love. And before he had given a hint of where he was going, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He says, rather, serve one another in love. And I love this, and I wish it would have been translated literally because Paul is playing on words. In the beginning of this chapter, he says, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says, don't allow that to happen. And then later on, he says, rather serve one another in love. And if you would translate it literally, it's rather become slaves to one another in love. It's so fantastic. Paul. Way to play with words. I love it. In the middle of a long, drawn-out dissertation on what freedom is, he starts talking about becoming slaves to one another in love. His point is simple. We are free. We're free to live in community. We are free from trying to do it all on our own. We are free from trying to pretend that we can handle life and everything that it throws at us, no matter how hard it is, we're free from trying to do all of that on our own. We are free. We actually become free from our own independence. <laughs> Some of y'all should have been like, say what? Yeah. We're actually free from our own independence. How you like that for an idea? We are free from our own independence. What an interesting thought. Isn't it? We are free from our own independence. You see, somewhere along the lines, we human beings got this idea, especially out here in the West, by, by that I mean America. Somewhere along the line, we got the, we got the uh, idea that freedom and independence are the same thing. Right? We love our independence, don't we? Oh my goodness, we love it. It's one of the values that we hold dear. Oh, we love our independence. But here's my question. Is it even a real thing? Is it? Is independence an actual thing? Is it a reality? Is it anything, anybody, anywhere on the planet, is it anything anybody can actually claim? True independence. So let's talk about independence for a second. Let's define the term. And here's what I did. I could have Googled it, but I didn't. There's this big, thick book. It's like that thick about like that. It's called a dictionary, and it's got pages and printed stuff on it. You remember those things? So I looked it up. This is Webster's, this is Webster's definition of independence. And you think about whether or not this is an actual real thing. Okay, here it is. Independence, not dependent. Come on, you can do better than that, Webby. Not dependent. Not subject to control by others. Self-governing. Okay. That's pretty good. Webster goes on. 
he or she, I have no idea, says this, independence, not requiring or relying on something else. Really. Not looking to others for one's opinions or guidance in conduct. Really? Not requiring or relying on something else. Not looking to others for one's opinions or guidance in conduct. Who wants to live like that? Oh my goodness, how lonely and sad would your life be? How could you even do it? Do you move out to Montana? Like find a place of unclaimed land and build a shack so you can live all by yourself and you can truly have your own independence? Is that how you do it? No, because you're not even independent then. You want to know why? Because you probably need tools that somebody else had already made and you had to take those with you. Yeah, you're dependent. You probably need some sort of instrument unless you created something by yourself to kill animals or harvest some sort of food from the land. But guess what? You're dependent on creation. Something else has to die so that you can live is anybody truly ever independent? Is it a thing that we want? Is that something that we desire to not have to rely or seek anybody else's opinions or guidance in conduct? Is it an actual thing? Paul says, look, y'all, you're free from that. You're free from that idea. You're free to live in community. You are free to lean on one another. You are free to seek companionship. You are free to seek guidance from one another. You are free to live with each other. We are free to live in community. But then he goes on and he makes it, goes a little bit deeper and he starts talking about how we are to be with one another in community, in our freedom. And you know what he says? One word. Anybody? Love. That was quick. Yeah. Love. He says love. And get this. <laughs> if we love, if we live by the law of love, we wind up fulfilling the law fundamentalism from which we've been freed. Another one where you're like, what? Free from our own independence, we live with one another in love, by the law of love. And if we love and live by the law of love, we actually end up fulfilling the law from which we've just been freed. Ha! How do you like that? It's so good. Listen to what he says. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody know where he got that one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus actually got it from further back, but then he coupled it with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and put them together and said, that's the most important thing. Love. Love. 
Here's what Paul is, here's what he's saying. He's saying if we accept the love and grace that God has given us in Jesus, that frees us from trying to make God love us, from earning God's favor to get God to do stuff for us. We accept the love and grace that God has given us, and then we take that love and grace and we turn it outward towards the people who live around us. Friends, this has been God's intention for us from the very beginning, from the very outset, from the get-go. Remember when he came to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12? He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Paul's saying that if we do this, if we live our lives according to the law of love, we actually end up becoming the kind of people God intended us to be. Mm, love. It's all about love. Here's a little analogy from a little British theologian uh, named John Stott. He literally was a short dude. Um, he passed away in 2011, but this is his idea, and I share it with you. Think about fish. Fish are made for what? What? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Jesus helped some dudes catch a bunch of them a couple different times. Even had a barbecue on a beach in the morning after he was resurrected. He's like, let's have some fish, y'all. They were made for water. They swim in water, right? They're limited in water. They're limited to water. But in that limitation, they are, oh, they enjoy incredible freedom, don't they? They swim all over the place. They enjoy incredible freedom. So let's say you got a goldfish, and you got it in one of those goldfish bowls, and you put it on your back deck, and it's like, that's awesome. I love my goldfish. He's swimming around there, and he's experiencing incredible freedom within that, that water and that goldfish bowl. But after a couple of days hanging out on the deck, it's like, this goldfish bowl is too small. I don't like it. It's not enough for me. So he decides to take a chance at more freedom, and he jumps out of the bowl. Now, if he lands in the pond that is now in your backyard after last night, he experiences greater freedom. Oh, my goodness, it's so good. But if he jumps out and he lands in the grass, it's going to shrivel up and die just like that because he was made for water. If fish were made for water, what is the element in which we are made to experience the most freedom? What is it? John goes on to say, it's love. Scriptures reveal it is love. We human beings were made for love because God is love. We, when God created us in his image, he, he gave us this great capacity to be loved and accept love, but also to love. And if we don't use our capacity to love, if it isn't, if it isn't our go-to thing in everything we do, 
We become something less than what God, in, God intended us to be. We come like fish out of water. We begin to shrivel up. And you've seen this in people who don't love, right? You've perhaps felt it in your own self as you've had instances where you've decided to go with something else instead of love, and afterwards you're like, oh, I feel horrible. Right? Little pieces of ourselves begin to shrivel up and die, and we end up biting and devouring each other, just trying to survive. We see this in the world. People biting and devouring each other. Think about what you see and what you watch on the news. Think about what you experience at work. People biting and devouring each other. Isn't it so sad? People biting and devouring. It's like people are more concerned about, I was going to say being right, but I think it's less about being right anymore. Like we've devolved into something different and worse. It's like people now are more consumed with just winning than with love. Right? We've been given this enormous capacity to give of ourselves to the people around us unconditionally. We've been given this enormous capacity to take care of one another. Friends, it's why we were made. We were made in love for love. It ought to be the thing that defines everything that we do. That's all I got for you. That's how we truly are free. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the ways in which you speak to us in it and through it. Uh, and God, uh, we confess that there, there are all kinds of <laughs> ways in which we live our lives trying to prove to you that we are worthy of your love. And we ask, oh God, that you would help us to throw off that, throw that yoke off. Because it's already been given to us. No matter what it is we've done, no matter how much shame we feel or guilt that we carry around with us. Your love for us, it's ours. And we ask, oh God, that that love would transform us into people who are loving, people who are hesitant to bite and devour in any arena of life. Help us always and forever, O oh God, to lean on your love, to choose love as the way in which we interact with everybody around us. And in so, work with you to actually transform the world so that everybody can experience the flourishing of life that you intended. In Jesus' name.